Welcome to Everything In Between, the podcast where a dad and daughter duo delve deep into topics ranging from true crime to paranormal occurrences to urban legends and, well, everything in between. I'm Emma. I'm the dad. That's Anish. Um, And, again, quite a tame week, I think. Um, Lots of me staying up really late. (laughs) Um, And our, our, quote, spring break is now over. So now I actually have work to do, which is sad, but at least it gives us something to do. Well, me something to do. Um, so that's fun. Readjusting to that. Um, but yeah, you know, I feel like for me, the past couple days have been really like rainy and just sad. And I feel like that's making me like drained and sad as well. Is that just me? No, no, I don't think it's just you. I think it's the weather, because it's not just rainy, it's cold. Yeah. I mean, for spring, I think. Like yesterday, up north got a couple inches of snow. um, And, I mean, nothing that was sticking to the roads and all. But still, it was cold enough to snow, which, again, we're almost in May. Um, I think, uh, I think... We, we've been, we, we're counting days. I think we're at day 46 for us. And I know it depends on uh, everybody as well. I think some people may be longer. I think most people are, I think more shorter. I think Cambridge at least tried to do this sooner than later. Um, and I thought at by week three, maybe four, it was like, oh, we're in a groove. This, get it. You know, you have the way you order everything, you do everything. Mm-hmm. Now I think there's an exhaustion component. And I know there's got to be some kind of, psychology around this type of you know uh, of what everybody's going through Mm -hmm. um and there's definitely stages or whatever it is but i think we're definitely at that point of um i mean i get the enough is enough part but there is this aspect of just yeah groove but it's not the right groove and um and i think even like you were saying having a break I, i i mean it, it's really not that much different than what we're doing daily, but I feel that it's probably good for the teachers yeah. to have the time to just kind of Adjust. now. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, they announced over break that your school, that, that nobody's going physically back to the buildings. But mm-hmm. um, so I think all of that, and I think everybody expected it, but I, yeah, I really feel that maybe we're in a point where we're at a point where it's um, that exhaust, the exhaustion, the stress, the mental aspect of it is the taking its toll. Well, there's, I don't think it's uncertainty. Well, I mean, it's going to change. Like, it's going to, I mean. I know, but I mean, for a, me, like, there's the uncertainty, like, if I'm actually physically going to college or if I have to do it online or if, like, I don't know. That's what's really annoying for me. No, I, that that's true. But I think there is a difference of you can go to college. So that the, the, the uncertainty of is it starting in the fall has been addressed. So I think most universities are saying we will have, you can start in the fall. Mm-hmm. The question is, will you be physically on campus or not? And I, and I know that's, that's a, a tough thing, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's the world we're in and, and I know people, I think the thing that to put, you have to always put everything into perspective this has happened before, I mean, but in worse conditions, you know, mm-hmm. and this happens around the world 
more often than not to people who can't, you know, the difference is they're being bombed, right? So I think you, it, it sucks and everybody should understand that it sucks. And I get that, I think, but you got to put in perspective and you also have to look at some value of hope because if you don't, then what's the point of anything? So my, my view of it is that this sucks. It sucks for you more than any most because it's a milestone year. So that, and for all seniors, I, I, I feel for everyone. And I, I don't think there's anything we can say to make you feel any better. And I think some people, I don't know how to say it, like to say like, look, I just, I want to be down. I want to be depressed and I like it and I'm going to stick with it and that's and fine. And you're waiting to pick a fight, but and this is not going to make anyone else happy. I don't remember my graduation. <laughs> I don't remember. I mean, yeah, I went through and I'm not saying that it wasn't a milestone or whatever, whatever it was. And maybe I was excited at the time, but I guess, you know, this is like nothing different. You know, when you get older, you think you get wiser, whatever. Um, but you will survive. You are resilient. If anything, you hope this brings out more creativity or whatever that whatever forces you, if it's anger, if it's sadness, if it's darkness, whatever it may be, use it to do something. Because sitting around is not helpful for anyone. And I think I, I, it, it, we we now know it's coming. It's going to go on for more for at least another six weeks of uh, being at home. So do something. I, I I think for all the people who are listening, I, I'm not trying to be your parent. I'm not trying to. I just think that it sucks and you can just say, okay, it sucks and just be woe is me and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or you can be like, all right, well, do something. I don't know. I get, I apologize. We'll probably cut that shit out, but whatever. No, I think it's inspiring. It's like, I know you're saying you're not parenting them, but it's like sage advice from a father. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. All I know is that you can get excited about things outside of it and the the doldrum of sitting around causes more and more i mean the depression and everything else and i think not being able to go outside because the weather sucks adds to that but i will tell you i did go outside your mom and i went for a walk and i have to say i didn't like it because there was too many people out like we went near the path people were no mask all these other things and i was kind of like you know I get people want to get out and it was our own fault. Like we shouldn't have gone to like the Mecca of like the, the, um, the, the Minuteman trail or whatever that, that, you know, the, those things mm-hmm. we should just stayed like on, you know, back streets and things like that. Um, and then I went with your brother just to kick the ball around because like he definitely needs to get outside. And, um, we went to the park, we went to the field and we, you know, we, people were definitely spaced out, but then there was groups of people that were just like picnicking together hanging out and again i'm not saying i don't want to judge maybe they're all quarantined together whatever it is mm-hmm. but again no masks and i know people are like well mask does not no there there it, it helps it doesn't it's not 100 but again it's just it i feel that you have to think about everyone around you and not just your world mm-hmm. and Again, I, I'm shutting up. Let's move on. Let's talk about <laughs> other darkness, murder, and crap like that. Oh, I know you watched wow. a bunch of stuff that probably has darkness, murder, and so let's yes, hear it. I finished The Forest, um, that French series on Netflix that I think you should watch because I think I told you this, but there are some characters, like, as I was watching, I kept having reactions where I, like, 
knew how you would have reacted and i like kind of was sad because i couldn't like share that with you so i need you to watch it now <laughs> Fair um, enough. but there are a couple characters that i think that you would love i know exactly who you would hate like it was i think it's a problem i think we're spending too much time with each other Fair um, but it was well, amazing you- so um, I'll watch it. Maybe I'll watch it with you so that you can then yeah. can do that. You can see how. And how it's only six episodes. They're yeah, long, fine. but it's only six. No, that's fine. I mean, again, I, I we're the same thing. Like I'm in this doldrum, like where basically if I don't start something by 730 or eight o'clock at night, then I'm not watching anything. Yeah. And then like even last night, last night I went out, I read. I went oh upstairs at like nine o'clock. I mean, I read. And a graphic. you needed your your glasses. Yes, <laughs> I I, but I read a graphic novel. I didn't like read, so I, I'm I'm starting to read the Sandman again. And I just was like, I'm gonna read season seasons of Mist, and oh, it's so good. Mm. Yeah, I have a bunch of um, ebooks. Uh, basically, if you're subscribed, I don't know if I talked about this already. Um, I put it on my Instagram. But if you're subscribed to the Simon and Schuster like email blasts or whatever. They're doing this thing where they're like, you can choose a free ebook every week to download and you can just read it and it's yours. Um, And so I have five of those now. I've not started them yet, but I have those to read now and I'm very excited um, because some of them look really interesting to me. You should read the all the graphic i mean you should read fables because it's down yes. like, i mean yeah i can finally read fables, old enough you should to read, read preacher you should read sandman i mean they are you will be in a world you will just it, they are so i'm excited they're they're awesome those those graphic novels those series are phenomenal i mean i know there's the marvel and everything else but these are just a different different world you can I, watch you can read the watchmen we have that yeah i definitely i want to read through you have a huge collection of comic books that I would like to read through. Well, it's your uncle started it, you know. Mm. He's the one that got me into it, so. Yeah, but anyway, right. The Forest. I just yeah, wanted sorry. to say, nope. when I finished it, like, at first, when I, like, in the first couple episodes, or the first two episodes, maybe, I was kind of like, eh. But at the end, they just, like, did one thing after the other, and it was just so suspenseful the entire time. And when it was over, I, like, I had to, like, just sit there for, like, a good 10 minutes. Oh, that's and great. Just that's a Absorb. <laughs> And I wanted to, I really wanted to like contact the writer or something and be like, thank you for this. But I couldn't. They got to have info. some, an Insta or, a, or a Twitter. They didn't have an Instagram. I was so sad that I could find at least. Hmm. I feel like, I don't know. But it's French, right? Yeah. They have to have something. I found the, one of the actresses in the show that I really liked and I DM'd her. She hasn't responded, but that's fine. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was really good and would recommend definitely watch it the only thing i didn't like about it is that the police work was just like i kept critiquing everything they were doing (laughs) um but yeah that's that's what i just had to say about that definitely watch it um yeah and then you watched uh what did you watch oh extraction yes which my world just revolves around graphic novels because it's based on a graphic novel it's different than the the graphic novel i mean i learned this after afterwards but um it's with uh, Chris Hemsworth, and it takes place in mostly in Bangladesh, but there's a little bit in India too. And it's I, I, it's predictable. I mean, I don't think you're gonna sit there and be like, "Oh my god, I'm learning and my brain's expanding," that kind of thing. <laughs> but if you're in for a good um, vengeance action, um, it's I mean, Chris Hemsworth. Uh, <laughs> this is it, and the it's it's kind of a john wick style i mean it's violent your mom was kind of watching i don't i think she was 
she was aware. Um, and every time it's like, this is really violent. That's what I basically heard. But um, <laughs> it, it's it's well done. And I think it's the story. They, they definitely try to push this whole uh, father-son in different at different angles, different characters, different worlds. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I recommend it. And I basically, if you're the guy who directed it was the, I believe the stunt coordinator slash director for Thor for the Thor films. Wow. And that's how Hemsworth got into it. Cause I mean, it, this was going to be his first, the, the guy was directing for the first time. And I guess they must've asked, cause I think Hemsworth was like, I'm taking some time off, but he did it as a favor. Hmm. Um, and it was written, I know you hate them, but I think it was one of the Russo brothers who wrote it, but he adapted it from this comic book or graphic novel, I should say. Um, and it's about these drug lords. And I mean, there's not really a lot of good people in it in the sense that they're, um, you know, model citizens. But yeah, I mean, I, I it's a good two hours of action, I would say. So yeah. All right. Interesting. And where, where did you, was it just like, did you rent it or? Was oh, it's it? on Netflix. It oh. came out on Friday. Uh, Friday? Yeah, Friday. Cool. Yeah, this past Friday. There's a new show coming out, I think. Um, not the half of it, but I think there's another one called Hollywood that's coming out soon. Yeah, it's uh, Ryan Murphy. Yeah. Yeah, I saw the trailer. It looks crazy. It does look crazy. I'm not sure if it's going to be good. I mean, he's I'm pretty interested. good. He's like, I, I think, I think it's, if you're, I, I see Ryan Murphy as you're if you're a fan, you're gonna love it. Um, if you and then if you're not, you either really like the show or you hate the show. Like I think that's it. There's no there's no gray area. It's like eh. yeah. So um, I'm definitely gonna try it because I like the old Hollywood. Like, well, I think just everyone that's in it. I mean, everyone's in it. Samara Weaving is one of the main. Uh, oh really? Or is it Samara or Samara? I have no idea. Um, is a main character in it. So hmm. so yeah. Well, anyway, I'm excited for that. I think it's coming out Friday. I think yeah. that's what it said. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. And then, of course, I did some more baking, <laughs> as as one does. Uh, and I made some brownies that I feel like with my baking creations, it either turns out really big or really small. Like, I made a cake at first that turned out very small. I made my cookies that were ginormous. Then I made my brownies, which were pretty small. But they weren't small. I mean, you put it in the right... They I were mean, like baits. You just bait cut them small. Size. That's the only difference. It said 16, yeah, so yeah, I cut no, them into 16. No one does that. That's just a guide. Okay. Well, anyway, that's that's what my experience has been. Yeah. But they were very fudgy and... They were great. I mean, chocolatey and delicious. Yeah. I did find the ice cream maker, just so you know. I saw that. I didn't know if... We... I pointed it out because I thought maybe somebody would be like, oh, and then... Well, uh, I thought that that was for Christian because you kept uh, well, nagging him about making us ice cream. Well, I put it away. So it's back again. I didn't know. I didn't know we had one. I thought that you had just bought that like... Oh, no, no, no. I'm not buying that. I think I think it's... I think we got it when we got... When your mom and I got married. So it's like 20 years old. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. And I don't think it's ever been used. So... Oh, my God. Yeah. It was, you know... Wow. Whatever. All right. Well maybe we'll this will be the the time to use it right we can make something we can invent a new ice cream flavor yeah 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 um okay so i think that's all we have to say yeah no i the only last thing i'll say is i bought a bunch of new video accessories that i want to try that i was hoping oh, you yes. guys would actually start doing your own shows or do something to kill time or at least help students do things um but i'm gonna set it up at one point because i get 
some other equipment coming tomorrow and then well i'll record something yeah maybe see what happens maybe we'll record a, a snippet of us doing this we'll see oh that would be fun yeah all right so you're doing true crime yeah yep i hope so because I'm yes not. no i am definitely doing true crime all right let's hear it all right so um my sources for this week uh are pretty much the normal ones uh, we had a winner what? The winner. We got somebody won the... Oh my God, you're so right. Oh my God. So we just want to thank everyone for... For uh, participating, for participating in, our in our giveaway. Yeah, oh my God. I know I know it's been, it felt like forever, <laughs> but uh, but we did get a winner. I think you DM'd the person, so... Yes, um, the clock is being sent. Yes, I we talked to Paul. I think he's going to try to get it out in the mail. Today is Tuesday, so he's actually going to try to send it out tomorrow when the this episode releases, so... Yes. Um, Hopefully we can get a, somebody, the, the winner can take a picture of it or something. Yeah. That'd, that'd be, cool. be really cool. All right. Yeah. So just want to make sure, but go ahead. Now yeah. You're oh my saying. God. I totally forgot yeah, about keep that. Keep going. Let's go. <laughs> um, so my sources are pretty normal sources. Uh, Wikipedia, Ranker, The Lineup, uh, Murderpedia, Historic Mysteries, Vocal Media, History 101, and all that's interesting. So, you know, just your average murder sources. <laughs> the go-tos. Um, <laughs> yes. The go-tos. <laughs> Uh, so today I'm taking you to France. Um, in a forest? <laughs> no, not in a forest, unfortunately. Okay. Um, yeah, imagine if I just like retold the entire series. Um, anyway, so this murder quickly garnered fame as the crime of the century um, in France, of course. Uh, so I'm going to tell you about the Papal sisters. Why do I know them? Because... A while ago, we started watching a YouTube video about them, and then you were like, oh, this is trash, and turned it off, like, because of the, the style of the video, okay. because of the material. The name's familiar, so I don't... Yeah. I don't know if you know the whole story, but we definitely watched, like, five minutes of a All right. YouTube thing on okay. it. Um, okay, so, some background. Uh, so, our story focuses on Christine, who was born on March 8th, 1906, and her younger sister, Leah, born on September 15th, 1911. Okay. Um, and so they were born and raised in Le Mans, France. I don't know if I'm saying any of these right. It's been years since I've taken French. Um, to Clemence Deray and Gustave Papin. You know, pronunciation. Um, so their family life was kind of rocky. Uh Clemence was rumored to have been secretly having an affair with her boss um, before she got married to Gustave. All right. Um, and so when she first uh, fell pregnant, uh, after they actually were married, um, this was in 1901, like October of 1901. Um, so the other girls aren't born yet, but she gives birth to a girl named Amelia. Okay. Um, and so Gustave believed the baby was the product of this affair. The affair, right. Um, and decided that the family would have to, like, move to a new city to, you know, get away from the rumors or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, he even, like, found a job in another city, so he was, like, ready to go. Yep. Um, but Clemence declared that she, quote, would rather complete suicide than leave Le Mans. All right. So she's not too keen. Uh, so this caused some tumult in their marriage, obviously. Um, and Gustav began drinking heavily. Yep. Um, so... When Amelia was about nine or ten, 
um, she was sent to Bon Pasteur Catholic Orphanage, uh, where, quote, it was discovered that Gustav um, had raped her. Oh, my God. Which is disgusting, I know. Um, and then later, Amelia would join a, the convent and become a nun. So that's great for her. Um, but the story is not about her. <laughs> so when Christine was born, this right. is uh, 1906, I believe, uh, she was given to her paternal aunt and uncle. Uh, and then she was raised there for seven years and life was good. She was chilling. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she too was sent to the same Catholic orphanage okay. where she, quote, received the calling to become a nun. Gotcha. Um, however, her mother forbade this and sent Christine into employment instead. Okay. I think I do now. You do know this? Yeah. One? I'm just trying to remember why I know it. I think Does it's she because become, of that YouTube video. But then, all right, because she they she becomes like a servant or something. A maid. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so she was described. Christine was described as quote a hard worker and a good cook who could be insubordinate at times. Okay. Um. So when Leia was born in 1911, uh, she was given to her maternal uncle. Buzzfeed didn't do one of these, did they? Ah, uh, it's. No, because they do BuzzFeed Unsolved. Oh, that's right. Fair enough. This one is solved. Why do I know this? I know a lot of it because, and I'm just trying to think, maybe I heard it on a, on, on one of the podcasts or something. I do not remember a podcast about this. All right. They probably have done it, but I don't remember it because um, I was trying to look for something that wasn't hmm. on the podcast as per your comment last episode. Yeah, I yeah, know. I'm just trying to remember why I know because maybe we watched the whole video then. Maybe we did. Yeah. I think I think you were really fed up with the narration of it. Yeah, okay. I don't know. Um, maybe we watched more than I thought we did. Um, anyway, so she was given to her maternal uncle, um, and, and he ended up dying. Uh, so she was sent to the Catholic orphanage, too, until she was 15. So this is like 1926 now. Yep. Um, and after that, she, too, was employed. Right. Uh, so Leia was described as, quote, quiet and introverted, but obedient. Yep. Uh, and she was also considered less intelligent than Christine, which is kind of rude, but whatever. Um, so the girls both worked as maids in like various homes uh, in Le Mans, but they preferred to work together when they could. Right. Um, so this is pretty much the same year that Leia starts working, but the girls were employed as live-in maids for the wealthy Lancelin family. Yep. Um, and that consisted of retired solicitor Rene Lancelin, mm-hmm. uh, his wife Leonie, and their younger daughter Genevieve. Okay. They also had an elder daughter, but she was like married and living somewhere else. So, um, so at some point after this, the girls started working there. Uh, Madame Leonie quote developed depression, and the girls became the target of her mental illness. Uh, so she would abuse them verbally and physically, sometimes going as far as like slamming their heads against the wall. Oh, God. And I would also like to say that getting depressed does not make you abuse people. So, you know, she had other problems. Like, you don't just like abuse people. Anyway. Um, so the girls continued to work on the house, um, but tensions were clearly starting to build. Um on Thursday, February 2nd, 1933, so they've been working there for years now, um, everything sort of came to a head. Uh, it was nighttime, and Monsieur Lantelin returned to find the house dark. Mm. Uh, he wasn't too thrown off by this, uh, because he knew that his wife and daughter had, like, a dinner party that they were going to attend, so they probably just, like, you know, left. 
Right. Um, so he left to go to the same party um, and found it odd that his family was not there either. Uh, so he got his son-in-law who was at the party and the two of them went home at around like 6.30, 7. Right. Um, and it was discovered that the house was still dark except for one light in the Pump Hall sister's room. Okay. Uh, the front door was locked from the inside, so he couldn't go in. I guess he, it was like deadbolted yep. or something. Yep. Um, he and his son-in-law found this suspicious, so they went to the nearest police station to ask for help. Um, so one officer accompanied them back to the house and was able to get in by um, climbing over the garden wall. Uh, once he got inside, the policeman found the bodies of Madame Lancelin and Genevieve. Uh, both had been, quote, bludgeoned and stabbed to the point of being unrecognizable. Wonderful. Yeah. And, of course, it gets worse. Um, Madame Lancelin's eyes had been gouged out, um, and they were found in her scarf, like, around her neck. They just, like, call it. Oh, God. Uh, and Genevieve's eyes were also gouged. Uh, one was found under her body, and there was another... <laughs> Like on the stairs nearby, which, if you know me, the eye stuff is like the worst thing for me. I just can't deal with it. Oh, yeah. Um, so the officer was horrified um, and he proceeded to the sister's room, um, which I believe is like sort of like at the top of the house, um, fearing that they'd also been killed uh, in the same fashion. Um, but their door was locked um, and I think the light was still on. Uh, and he received no response upon knocking. So he just got a locksmith to open the door, which I guess that happened kind of fast. Maybe there was just one walking by or something. Um, And inside the room, the sisters were lying naked in bed together uh, with a hammer caked in blood and hair sitting on a nearby chair. Oh, God. Um, The girls were questioned and almost immediately confessed to the killings. So, I mean. Okay, yeah. Um. According to the sisters, Madame Lancelot and Genevieve got home that evening after a day of shopping to a dark house. Um, or afternoon, sorry. Yep. Um, and so the sisters explained to them that a powder, a power outage uh, had been caused by Christine plugging in a faulty iron. Yep. Um, and so this apparently enraged um, Madame Lancelot, who started attacking the sisters on, like, the first floor landing. Right. Um. So, Christine, in response, uh, lunged at Genevieve and gouged her eyes out. Oh, my God. Which, you know, okay. Um, Then Leia joined in, uh, attacking Madame Lancelot and gouging her eyes out, per Christine's orders. Good. Christine then ran downstairs to the kitchen, receiving a knife and hammer. Uh, She brought the weapons upstairs, where the sisters continued attacking the women. Oh, God. Uh, and at some point, one of the sisters uh, struck both uh, Lancelot's on the head with a heavy pewter pitcher. Um, and experts experts determined that the attack lasted about two hours. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's just insane. Um, so oh. they confessed all of this. Uh, and they were placed in separated prison cells. Uh, and this seemingly made... Christine incredibly distressed and agitated. Right. Uh, and she would like act out um, and just be, I don't know, just really on edge. Um, and it got so bad that at one point officers were like, okay, you guys can like see each other for like a second. Right. Um, so they let the girls meet and Christine reportedly, quote, 
threw herself at Leia, unbuttoning her blouse, begging her, please say yes, suggesting an incestuous sexual relationship. Uh. Which is just gross. So, yeah. Um, but we do talk about that a little bit later. Um, so, in July of uh, 1933, uh, the girls were still in prison at this point, Christine suffered a fit where she attempted to gouge her own eyes out. Um, and she had to be, like, put in a straitjacket. Oh, man. Um, and afterwards, she told the investigating magistrate that, quote, on the day of the murders, she had experienced an episode like the one she had in prison, um, and this it was what precipitated the murders. Gotcha. Um, so, of course, the sisters were psychologically examined, um, and they were examined by three different doctors. Uh, who all concluded that they had no pathological mental disorders and that they were sane. Uh-huh. Which I do not agree with. Um, and at the trial, it was proven through medical testimony that there was a history of mental illness within the family. Um, their uncle had killed himself, and one of their cousins was in an asylum. Okay. Um, although, as we know from last episode, it didn't take much to get put in an asylum. True. Um, so it was also postulated that Christine's affection for her sister, quote, uh, was based on family ties, not an incestuous relationship as others had suggested. So some people are like, oh, they're just really close. Oh God. (laughs) Um, so the trial took place in September of 1933 and it took the jury 40 minutes to decide that both sisters were guilty of the murders. Right. Well, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Leia was thought to be under the influence of her sister, so she was given a 10-year sentence. Um, and Christine was sentenced to death via guillotine, but later it was commuted to life in prison. Okay. Um, being separated from Leia took a really, like, devastating toll on Christine. Yep. Uh, she, quote, experienced bouts of depression and madness, uh, eventually refusing to eat. Right. Uh, so she was transferred to a mental institution by prison officials who thought she would benefit from professional help. Right. Um, but she would continue to starve herself um, until she died of cachexia, cachexia, which just is wasting away. Oh, um, man. And that was on May 18th, 1937. So that was like four years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so Leia was released from prison after serving eight years. Okay. Uh, and moved with her mother to another town. Uh, there, she took on a false identity and got a job as a hotel maid. Um, so that's pretty much like the end for her. Like she didn't really do anything notable after that. Um, that's good. Yes, very good. Uh, most believe that she died in 1982, um, but in 2000, a French film producer claimed to have discovered her living in a hospice center while creating the film, quote, In Search of the Papon Sisters. Okay, seems like marketing to me. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> uh, so he claimed that this woman um, was that he had found was right. Leia, and she'd, quote, suffered a stroke that rendered her partially paralyzed and unable to speak. Convenient. Kind of, yeah, I was about to say. Um, and this woman died in 2001. So some people think that that actually is her. Some people are like, no. Um but again, yeah, yeah. she sort of stayed quiet, for, which and is good. Good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so currently, it's believed um, by a wide variety of psychologists that the girls suffered from shared paranoid disorder, 
um, which is believed to occur, quote, when groups or pairs of people are isolated from the world, developing paranoia, and in which one partner dominated the other. So are you trying to say something about the current condition? <laughs> um, no comment. <laughs> Moving on to my next bullet point. Um, I didn't even think of that. Um, so some people think that the mergers were purely sort of like uh, class-based yeah. um, or based on like the exploitation of workers um, since the girls worked 14-hour days with a half day off each week, which is just ridiculous. Um, and so they think that like their social class and the victim's social class, because they were like very high up. Was... Yeah, well, I mean, if there's abuse too, so who knows? Yeah. yeah, so that is the story of the Pumal sisters. Um, kind of crazy. Yeah, no. Yeah, very violent, brutal, but you know. Yeah, no, no. I can, I think, I, I do remember it. I think we must have watched the thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I remember just the, the, uh, the relationship between the two. Mm-hmm. It was like weird. Ugh. Yeah, I remember from the video talking about when they uh, like went into the house and the the lights were on. I remember right, that bit. Right. Um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, no. Hey, well yeah. done, and uh, hopefully <laughs> none of this quarantine will cause any of this to happen again. Yeah, so. hopefully. <laughs> um, last last two episodes ago, I, whenever I did true crime last two episodes ago, right? Um, I almost did a cult because um, I thought, you know what. I want to do a cult. Right. And I came like this close to doing either like Heaven's Gate or um, oh, God. like Branch Davidian or something. And I ended up going somewhere else. Um, but I listened to, and that's my favorite drink from that week. And they did Heaven's Gate. <laughs> and I was so glad that I ended up not doing a cult. I was, I almost, oh my God. Yeah. Anyway, that's all. <laughs> all right, cool. Well, well done. <laughs> Thank you. All right, so this week I am doing, I guess, paranormal. Um, I'm not going to go into the detail or of, uh, like, the time period and stuff yet and location stuff. Okay. Because I think I'll just, you'll know what it is. So I'm just going to start this way. Uh, I'm going to list a bunch of characteristics, and I want you to tell me what they have in common, okay? Oh, God. I'm bad at these games. Drinking alcohol. Okay. Smoking tobacco. Okay. Swearing. Okay. Lack of intelligence. Okay. Um, I, I, disabled, handicapped, or you know, a, having appearance issues, lack of beauty. Um, in olden times, they were not good. I was gonna say. Oh, uh, and the female. F- Forgot about that part. Oh, like you're bad against like the Catholic Church or something. I don't know exactly. People in Catholicism would hate you in the olden days. How about um? Well. Yes, <laughs> but they were categorized as. Are they ways to get put in a mental institution? All right. Well, I think you. Uh, let's put it this way. Well, in seventeen eleven, out of these games, seventeen eleven, Ireland, eight women had the above characteristics. Oh, is this like a witch thing? <laughs> were charged with demonic See, possession. I was thinking that of the body, mind, and spirit of a teenage girl, or simply put witchcraft of course now the trial itself would be considered sensational for the time but um it was after salem which trials so mm-hmm. america had already gone through this and i think got it out of their system by that point <laughs> uh but in europe it was still you know raging the panic was there and i believe uh england and scotland 
were epic epicenters where mm-hmm. Ireland, um, well, you'll see Ireland was a little bit, you know, ahead of the game. Um, now, fortunately, I guess this was the last witch trial in Yay. Ireland, just Ireland. <laughs> the accuser was 18 year old Mary Dunbar. Mary. No, nothing. No, maybe you know the name. Right. I, I think I know that there were witch, like there's a notable witch trial thing in Ireland, but I don't know anything about it. Okay. So you would think that her possession would be the whole story of this. Well, it isn't really the case. We first need to talk about her aunt. Okay. And Anne Haltridge. Okay. okay. See, Mary never had any of these, I don't know demon issues or whatever you want to call them until she came to stay with her cousin and son in Ireland. Oh, all right. So this is the story of the Island McGee. It's poltergeist <gasps> and it's witches. Ooh. So my sources are, uh, spooky um, Wikipedia, uh, occult world. Um, there was a, blog site called strange co strange company um the belfast telegraph and then the uh independent in ireland and there's a reason because uh because it was such a famous trial a bunch of historians followed up research and had uh looked up a bunch of things about it so it's it's kind of cool it's a really uh Mm -hmm. their their follow-up and things like that all right so where we go? Let's get to the story there now. So the Haltridge <laughs> family, they were, you know, considered a noble family. Um, they were religious. Uh, Anne's husband was a Presbyterian minister. Um, I don't know how many children they had, but the one particular one we're talk about is her, their son James, who would be the cousin of Mary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and James lived with his wife on the island McGee. Um, but in 1710, I think tragedy struck Anne as her husband passed away. And I I don't know if it was just old age or whatever, but, um, she became a widow and at some point she decided, and I don't know if it was her or her son to have her move in with, with him Mm -hmm. on the Island. Um, so she moved in during the fall of, uh, of, uh, the 17... Yeah, get my dates together. And in September, she started to notice some strange things. Um, so almost every night, she seemed to be visited by an unseen force. Lovely. Uh, the window curtains would blow open, even though it was almost dead calm outside. Hmm. Stones and turf, I guess, grass or whatever, would be thrown into or hurled into the bed. That's not fun. Yeah. Uh, her night clothes would be stripped off. Um, and at times her pillow would just be snatched from under her head while she was sleeping. That's just rude. Yeah. Well, now her son didn't know what to think. I mean, basically he, she was growing more and more frightened because this was happening almost every night. Um, and he decided, well, okay, he never witnessed it. I, I don't know if he actually ever stayed in the room one way or another, but he decided, all right, we'll just move you into a different room. And that seemed to solve these oh my God. encounters. So they kind of left that room alone afterwards. And again, like I said, she seemed to be the only one to have any or witness any of these uh, incidents. But then 
in December, so a couple months later, she started, she witnesses something else, right? So on the evening of the, I think it's the 11th, she found herself sitting by the fire mm-hmm. and uh, I think Blaze was downstairs and um, it was right around, I think, dusk. Um, and she all of a sudden notices a young boy right had joined her in this room, like out of nowhere. That's creepy. And he sits next to her on the floor, mm-hmm. but she couldn't see his face because he had a blanket covering oh my his god head. that is awful but she could that. still see his hair and he had a cap all right okay so the hair was she said it was very it was black um like almost uh like a sheen like a shiny black mm-hmm. um and but his clothes she could tell his, the clothes were he had a vest they were worn it was torn you know almost pauperish in a Interesting. way um so she started to ask him you know who are you? Who are you? Why are you? Why are you here? here? Exactly. Like, the and then like, do you need help? Do you need food? Are you hungry? Um, and he didn't answer. So she basically says, look, it, let me get you some food. It's, you, you must be starving. You just, you know, I, I, are you homeless? Whatever it may be. So she starts going into the kitchen and he follows her into the kitchen and offers him tea, um, you know, food, whatever it could be. She's like the most like like she's the nicest person ever like most people would just be like why are you here get out i think she thought he they the way they described him was um 11 or 12 uh so i think she just felt for this kid Hmm. um so now you know they're in the kitchen and um she's you know preparing food and stuff and basically again asks him his name and when she does this a second time he just jumps up and starts dancing in what? the kitchen, just dancing around, um, quite nimbly, apparently, and still not saying a word. And then he just opens the kitchen door and runs out into the cow shed outside. Okay. So Anne summons the house servants to be like, there's a boy who was just here and now he's run into the cow shed. Can you go find him? Right. So they go out into their, into the into the shed find nothing like there's nothing even there. there's no cows nothing at all um so they come back to tell Anne mm-hmm. that hey there's no one there and as they get back into the house the boy is now right next to them again <gasps> so now they the servants are trying to grab the boy and again <laughs> he starts dancing around nimbly evading them what just the in a way heck? kind of like i just think of like a joker or a sprite or something like just yeah. kind of going around that kind of thing and um, but avoids you know their capture, and then during this time while this is this commotion's happening, one of uh, James's hunting dogs is coming back to the house. Oh no! Right, so this dog better be okay. So when the dog is coming back, one of the other servants notices that the dog is coming and just says, "Oh, the young master is home," because he must be returning from the, the James must be mm-hmm. returning from a hunt, and the boy disappears. <gasps> so. It doesn't take long for James to follow in his dog, and he goes into the kitchen, and there's their servants here, and Anne, and they're just all trying to explain what just happened. Freaking out, I assume. Right. And James is just kind of like, I don't know what's going on. He's really kind of getting worried about his mother's well-being and her mental state and all these other things. But, you know, the servants are confirming that there was a dancing boy. Right. In here. She's got multiple witnesses. Right. And then he just disappeared moments before you came into the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, so James is like, I, I don't know what's <laughs> going on. So 
over the next couple of months, there are no sightings, right? Just nothing of the boy. Um, but the room, that one room where she was staying before, there were still signs of paranormal activity where the stones oh, are thrown on the bed, curtains Even are blown. Even with no one in there. No one's in there. They just hear things. Things are falling. They find stuff in the room. Weird. Now, on February 11th, 1711, something new happens. Ooh. That evening, Anne is in bed, and she's reading a book of sermons. There was a specific one called Sermons of the Covenant. And okay. at, at some point, she places the book next to her on the on the table, side, her side table. Um, I think she's just adjusting the covers and everything like that. And then when she goes back to get the book, it's gone. <gasps> and she gets up, looks underneath the bed, because or where by the table trying to find where this book could be. Yeah. Nothing. Starts searching the room for the book and is just trying to understand what happened to this book. Right. Now, I believe this is downstairs. A servant girl, her name's Margaret Spear, was in her room Mm -hmm. and she just happened to look outside her window. And when she did, there was the boy. There was the boy was again carrying a large book, which happened to then be Anne's book. And she looks at him, they make eye contact, or he notices that she sees him. Mm-hmm. And then he comes in and he breaks the window. <gasps> That's so mean. And taunts her with this book. What the hell? So Margaret is shocked. And then she mocks the boy back, asking if he could even read such a thick book. Oh, and the boy you looked, get him, Margaret. <laughs> and the boy looked right into her eyes and said, Mrs. Haltridge would never see this book again. And of course... The devil taught me how to read. Oh. So Margaret then exclaims, The Lord bless me from thee. Thou hast got ill learning. (laughs) The boy replies that she may bless herself all she liked, but it would never save her. He then produced a heavy sword from under the blanket that was covering him. Oh, my God. And brandishes it towards her and just threatens to kill everyone in the home. That's so mean. Margaret screams. Yeah. Leaves the room and then locks herself in another room, um, but can still, it has a window, but can, and still can still see what the boy is doing, right? So as she watches from this window, the boy goes towards their gardens, and there's mm-hmm. like, I guess there's turkeys in the garden, and he goes to capture a turkey. <gasps> so he's trying to get the turkey, and as he's doing it, he puts the book down. Mm-hmm. And he can't, though. Like, the turkey's running around and everything like that. He just can't grab this turkey. Good. Um, and then after, you know, not being able to capture, he looks around, and, he, and now he's trying to find the book. And he's, like, searching everywhere for the book, but he can't find it. Oh, my God. So he stops and then just takes the sword out again and starts digging in the what? ground with the sword. Yeah, exactly. So at some point, another servant hears this commotion, the turkey, everything else, and goes outside and cautiously, cautiously confronts this boy. Right. And just basically says, like, what are you doing? And the boy just laughed. And then he said, making a grave for a corpse, which will come out of this house very soon. Oh, my God. And then he leaps nimbly in a dancing motion uh. up onto the wall of the garden and goes over the garden and disappears into the night. Oh, my God. Now, it's not clear if the servants ever told Anne <laughs> what happened. Of the night's event, but we can assume that James heard about it. Mm-hmm. So a few days pass without incident. Okay. All right. It's now February 15th, so four Did they days. ever get the book back? I believe they did find the book. Okay. Um, so February 15th, in Anne's new room, like the one that she had moved to, the blankets on her bed had been removed, 
and place in a bundle under um, on the floor, just lightly, nicely folded, that kind of thing. Ugh. So the servants right put them back on, right, only for them to be removed again, and this time placed nicely in a bundle underneath the table. Okay. So then the third time they put them on, and this time an unseen force removes these blankets and bedding and all these other things. Oh my things. God, while they're watching? I believe so. And arranges them on the floor in the shape of a corpse. Oh boy, oh boy. Now, again, Anne <laughs> sleeps there that night. What? Why would they not tell her that? And, uh, but James is like, we need to go get the minister because this is just crazy. So they get the family minister. His name's Robert Sinclair. And he comes to the house that night and, you know, starts offering his comfort, his prayers. He's doing whatever he needs to do to bless the house. So he's staying in the house. Anne is now retired in her room, goes to sleep, or tries to, but just can't because (laughs) of everything that's going on. And then around midnight, Sinclair and James are startled by Anne's scream. Oh, boy. They rush into her room to find Anne gripping the back of, you know, her neck, her back, and is in immense pain. She's complaining that she's, she felt a, uh, a knife stab her in the back. Ooh, boy. But there's no marks. There's nothing there. And from that moment on, she becomes bedridden. And each day, she's getting worse and worse and worse. Oh. And through these next few days... The servants come to the room, finding her blankets again on the floor in the shape of a corpse. That's just so rude. On February 22nd, Anne dies. No. Now, the news of what was going on, I, I don't know if it was since she had the, the minister show up, but mm-hmm. it's around the town. Yeah. Right. You can't stop that from spreading. Right. Everyone is saying that Anne had been bewitched to death. Okay. Okay. So... On February 27th, a Mary Dunbar Mm -hmm. arrives at the Halteridge home. She was summoned to help James's wife, the new Mrs. Halteridge. Okay. um, Just to, with her, whatever, I guess. I don't, you know. With the womanly duties? I guess. Um, And again, you know, she's a cousin Mm -hmm. and uh, the niece, uh, Anne's niece. So the Halteridges weren't sure if like what just had happened was now over or if they were cursed as a family. But again, nothing had ever happened. But now we summon someone else to come and see if anything else happens. Apparently. (laughs) Well, let's just say that they found out soon enough that it wasn't done. Lovely. Or, or was it? I don't know. (laughs) So on Dunbar's first night, she found her clothes had been removed from her trunks. Like the, all the things Mm -hmm. that she had brought with her and scattered all around the house. What? She then found a bundled apron um, with strange knots all around it on the kitchen floor. And after she untied the knots and unbundled everything, she found Anne's flannel cap in the middle of it. Whoa. Okay. So all that went down that evening, or I think within a day or two, um, she's sleeping. And I think she's not in the haunted room, but I'm not sure if she's in Anne's room. She may be in Anne's room. Um, okay. Anne's second room, I guess. That seems like another haunted room to me, though. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Um, so all of a sudden, while she's sleeping in, in bed, she has like this violent fit. Okay. 
And she starts complaining that somebody is cutting her on her leg with a knife. She just Mm. can't move her leg. And then she just describes that it was three women whom she can specifically explain, like, all their looks. Mary. That kind of thing. A few hours later, the same night, she has a second fit. And this time she says she she saw seven to eight women. Oh, my. Mary. So the next day... After this, or I think close, I'm not sure if there was a couple of nights of this or whatever, she um, is recovering. So she hasn't done anything but just come in. Be attacked. Yeah, and now things are trying to kill her. She identifies the following women and all locals. A Janet Liston, an Elizabeth Seller, a Catherine McCalmont, Janet Carson, Janet Mean, a Jane Latimer, and someone she called Mrs. Ann, but later they found out that her name was Margaret Mitchell. And this then is so imagine just like going about your daily business, and then some girl that's just gotten there like a couple days ago accuses you of witchcraft. Right, and then there was a, and that's a good point because I don't know. I'm gonna come back to that. Is there was also a, an uh, an eighth woman who just had a blind eye. Now, part of what you just said caused people to believe this because they're like well she doesn't know these people she just came to town and how could she describe folks this way now everyone in the town that mattered believed her ordeal that this happened because of what happened to Anne. so they're like oh my god yes curse there's definitely she was Anne was bewitched so now they're coming after her um which didn't really make sense because you think they'd go after the other miss halteridge mrs halteridge so the mayor immediately calls for their arrests jeez and from that time they're preparing for the trial so they're arrested evidence is being gathered so they are what evidence could there possibly be so the town is in a complete fervor people all people are coming out of the woodwork saying that somehow they are any of the accused they are bringing up stories about you know their donkey died oh in the God. and when i looked around so and so was here or or i remember going to this person's house and the husband or the whoever said that she you know was speaking some weird things in the evening this night yeah i'm sure um so it was i mean the way i think about this is just think of the holy grail you know my python the holy <laughs> grail right you know so dunbar stated that um in this buildup of of them gathering evidence whilst this was still happening, she was still being tormented by the women. So in that time before the trial, she said she would wake up and there were bracelets on her with strange knots, similar to what she saw on the apron, which allowed her not to leave the room. Um, she said that she started to vomit glass, oh my feathers, God. you know, other kind of junk. Um, she said she started to see the boy that her aunt had described the dancing around um oh yeah everybody knew about this kind of thing this is yeah um and then she also started to swear uncontrollably and yell idle threats at people you know just out of control that kind of thing i would be dead she was becoming completely out of control is what her point was um now of course the accused women their appearance appearances and economic status were also discussed she had a limp she, you know, was old. She looked, she was not, she was so ugly. I mean, all the jealous of this. And Mary Dunbar was a, a very attractive woman, highly intelligent. Um, 
highly manipulative, I believe, yeah. that kind of thing. So basically, at the end of the day, all these things about their parents, you know, their intelligence, all these other things, and I think they weigh the same amount as a duck. So, <laughs> so, you know. um, so on March 31st, 1711, the accused went to trial. None of them had a lawyer. Oh, my God. This makes me so angry. The trial starts at 6 a.m. in the morning. So you would think there would be this, I mean, everybody in town is there, but you think it would be this crazy spectacle, right, that Dunbar is going to take the stand, he's going to present this evidence, talk mm-hmm. about all these things that would happen. Well, Dunbar claimed that the, claimed this is the day before the trial, that the witches had come to her in her dream and told her that if she would, she would never be able to say anything in courts against them and that she had been struck dumb. Okay. So she doesn't even go to the trial. She doesn't even present any evidence. She's never even there. Oh my God. Six hours, found guilty, all of them. Oh my God. So fortunately- This really is like a true crime right here. Fortunately, um, Ireland had passed a witch law that stated that if you are accused of a witch for your first offense- you spend four turns in the stockade on market day. Okay. Because then they can throw stuff at you. Oh, and my that kind God. Of thing. And very small rocks. <laughs> and then you serve only a year in jail for it. Okay. And then you're released. Okay, that's fine. So it seems fair, right, I guess. Unless they throw rocks at you. Yeah, well. But if this happened in Britain or Scotland, they just kill you. Yeah, of So at least Ireland was like... Eh. <laughs> your cues are you uh, yeah they're a little more hesitant exactly um so now historians and researchers believe that dunbar used Anne's death to make a name for herself like basically she wanted to use possession as a way to get anything and everything she wanted oh my god so i think they were thinking that this would give her fame she would no longer be a servant and then she would basically somehow I don't know, marry rich. I don't know what it would be, whatever. Interesting. But she basically believed that possession would get her, let her get away with everything and anything. Did it? Pretty much. Oh, lovely. Did she end up like making, like getting rich? I don't, uh, there's not much more that said because what ended up happening, I mean, the the actual trial, there was a lot written about it and that you could research this, but then all the records of all the people, there was the Irish Civil War, there was, a lot of these records got burned and no. they have no, um, you don't know what happened to the other eight women, um, Mary Dunbar, all those records were burned, but they no. did have the trial transcripts. I mean, the six hours of, you know, she's a witch. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so there, there's a woman, her name is, um, Martina Devlin and she wrote a book called the house where it happened. And it's told from the perspective of a maid, um, that basically said she was living in a haunted house and, Basically, she asks and she's she's narrating, I guess, in a way and wondering why a pious and pretty 18 year old newcomer named Mary Dunbar immediately starts complaining and being tormented by these eight local women and claims that they're witches. So she's the protagonist, I guess, going through this whole story. Martina then believed that this was completely made up from her research and everything else and had been lobbying the town to uh, acknowledge this. So at one point, they were going to put a plaque at, with the wall women's names mm-hmm. saying about being falsely accused and all this other stuff. And I think they got most of the folks to believe it, but there was one town um, councilman 
who was a born again Christian. Oh my God. Who said no, because he said he doesn't know the facts and he's not what? sure that, it, you know, the, that if this is true or not, if there was evil. And then he changed it because, like, of course, the press came out and started talking to him about all these things. And then he said, oh, no, no, I just don't want to make it a, a place where uh, devil worshippers or people come to, like, you know, martyr these. these." No. Yeah. She also then tried to lobby the queen to pardon them because uh, and a bunch of other uh, air in the UK mm-hmm. um, after Charles, they actually pardoned uh, multiple people who had, you know, I think who had died as well. Right. Other things. Um but I couldn't find if this ever happened. Like I, I've been trying to research, and the last that that I saw was in 2015. Was this guy saying that I don't think we can do a plaque? So I couldn't find if there was oh a plaque. God. But I believe the woman is still Miss uh, Miss Devlin is still trying to get yes. them pardoned. Um, Hell yeah! And go through, but I support her. But that's the story of the Island McGee poltergeist and the following witches. Wow! And there you go. Wow. That was really good. That enrages me. (laughs) But yeah, but there you go. All right, so fun fact time? Yes. All right. All right. So I have some forced fun facts for you. (laughs) Okay. Um, Apparently, first of all, this is from like an International Forest Day, like fun fact list. Hmm. So International Forest Day is March 21st. Huh. Fun fact. All right. Good to know. Um, so interesting facts about forests. More than 300 million people live in forests in just on Earth. Okay. Which I think is interesting. Um, one of the reasons your lungs feel refreshed when walking through a pine forest is because of an anti-inflammatory compound called apinine, which is found in conifers. Hmm. Um, and in Japan, doctors used to prescribe forest therapy to to, uh, to treat depression and anxiety which sounds kind of calming actually yeah um and 20 percent of the earth's oxygen is produced by the amazon forest okay that makes sense it's becoming less and less every day well, hopefully <clears throat> well again yeah hmm. you're right so that kind of went really depressing yeah. Really fast. Yeah, yeah. but you know forests are great and Go take a walk through one and watch the forest on Netflix. But be physically distant. So Yeah, physically distant. <laughs> um, wear a mask. So, yeah, that's our fun facts. Um, I'm going to jump into the rest of it then. Yeah, go for it. Cool. So if you want to send in your own fun facts or submit your own stories or suggest a story that we should do, uh, please do that at our Gmail, which is everythinginpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can also submit those to our website, which is everythingpodcast.weebly.com. So check those out. Um, we, if you're, I forgot the order I do this in. If you're, uh, we're on social media. <laughs> uh, our Instagram is at everything in podcast. Our Twitter is at between underscore podcast. And we have a Facebook group and page, both by the name of Everything In Between Podcast. Check those out. We post when new episodes come out. Uh, we might be posting. Uh, whoever won our giveaway, uh, their picture of um, their clock when they get that. So definitely go look there. Um, if you're listening on a platform that allows you to do so, please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe. It's very helpful for us um, and gives us a nice ego boost, which I think <laughs> is, you know, we need one, clearly. Um, 
Yeah, we also pick out uh, songs to represent our stories each episode. Uh, and we've compiled those songs into a playlist on Spotify called The Soundtrack In Between. So go listen to that if you want. It's a good mix of um, just sort of all types of fun songs that yeah, we've it's, liked. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's got a good... I mean, it's there, there's a vibe to it, but yeah. um, we think it's a good vibe. Yeah, it's good <laughs> if you're, you know, walking through a forest and feeling the... <laughs> fresh pine in your lungs <laughs> um but yeah definitely do that and i believe that's all yeah so i guess until next week until next week stay home stay safe stay healthy yeah absolutely bye bye